The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné. I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein. Hi, hello. And uh, today we are going to discuss Achilles injuries, both ruptures and then I think chronic chronic yeah, Achilles. Chronic and acute ruptures. So these are really rather common problem. We see it in combination with other issues. We see a lot of Achilles tendonitis and Achilles issues in patients with plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Um, weekend warriors that decided to go out and mm. mow their 18 acre lawn on foot. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then we also see it as a, you know, kind of a chronic component for other folks in combination with other problems that really just gets ignored. And typically the rupture is usually preceded by inflammation for weeks and weeks and weeks. It gets ignored yeah. and then boom, you can snap it. And you got some good videos here. I understand <laughs> so, of yeah. some snapping. And people claim that it feels like they got shot. Yeah. Or somebody came up behind them with a hockey stick and whacked them. When I was looking for video clips on Achilles ruptures, there were so many videos where you can hear an audible snap, like a rubber band going, pop. Oh, that's just brutal. Yeah. So let's go through the basic anatomy for the Achilles so you can understand what's going on. So there's two major muscle bellies that make up the Achilles tendon. So the Achilles tendon is made up of... The gastrocnemius muscle, which has a medial and lateral head, that's the one that comes up behind and attaches to your femur. And then the soleus muscle, which is anterior, so deep to the gastrocnemius muscle. And um, sometimes you can also include the plantaris muscle, depending on you know who you talk to. But the, the two major muscles are the gastrocnemius and the soleus. And they're your strongest tendons in the lower extremity um, by far. The problem with any type of Achilles injuries is usually due to an area called the watershed area, the watershed zone. It's the area in the tendon which is the weakest uh, blood perfusion. Uh, the blood doesn't get there as strong. The healing potential in that area is the lowest. Depending on who you read, it's usually considered the four centimeter portion, two centimeters proximal to the insertion. So that from that two centimeter mark to that six centimeter mark, that's usually the area of uh, weakness. I mean, yep, uh, and that you know you're getting blood flow coming down from the muscle and then coming up from the calcaneus, yeah. and that's just sort of a devoid 
zone there where these blood vessels don't quite reach all the way. So it's an area of the tendon that can become injured and doesn't recover very well. It's also the most narrow area right. in the Achilles tendon, so that kind of adds to the problem. So let's talk about the different types of Achilles injuries that we see. I mean, um, sometimes you can have a little tendonitis, a little stretching, a little minor tear type of problem. Sometimes you can have tendonitis or tendinosis or, or whatever you want to call it, where you have a partial tear that doesn't heal. You end up getting scar tissue and obviously can be painful. Sometimes you can even have like a palpable nodule. And then obviously the last one is your Achilles rupture. That's the one where you hear that big snap. You feel that gunshot wound in the back of your leg, that rubber band that shoots up the back of that leg. And hopefully, hopefully, hopefully you can come see someone fairly quick because you want to get this fixed. Yeah, you, you don't do well. <laughs> uh, it'll affect your golf swing for sure. So most common reason that the Achilles are injured in acute injury. So this is acute, right? So usually during sporting events or athletic events, the last one I had was a older male, 40s, 50s, um, decided that him and his wife are going to go exercise now. So they went to this um, boot camp type of thing where like it, it's like on school ground, they do mm-hmm. the boot camp, whatever. And literally after stretching, they get up and they're like, all right, we're going to do some light sprints. On his first step, he pushed (laughs) off. It popped and his wife would not let him live it down. I had to go in, fix it up and everything. But uh, obviously uh, it it can happen. Here's a a very popular one. I got a little video clip here. Um, And you can watch that uh, ripple effect. Oh, just watch that. One more time, just just for you guys. Look at that. Dink. Woo. Yeah, and he looked like he got shot. Yeah, significantly painful. And the the way this tendon shreds, oh yeah, it almost looks like crab meat. I don't know, yeah. probably gross some people out, but oh, I got um, some clips and I mean videos, uh, pictures and whatnot good, good, in there. Good. So the difficulty is when you don't get right at it and start reattaching that yeah. stuff, you end up having to excise a lot of tendon. Yeah just to get it back uh, reopposed, and then that can lead to Aquinas, and you gotta work that out with physical therapy, and yeah, it's tough. So what do we see whenever a patient comes in? You typically have your, ouch, I felt something pop or snap in the back of my leg, it's significantly painful to walk, my ankle is so swollen, uh, I'm hobbling around, I mean, um, uh, <laughs> I got, good picture of the the hatchet strike defect you know yeah. so your your dill that's when you know it's really gone and you kind of hope that there's some partial attachments that it hasn't shot up all the way but most commonly if, if it's going it's, it's going completely um here's another thing that you can see um whenever you do your your knee flex test where you got them standing on their knees on the edge of the chair and you're looking down the achilles has a natural tension to it mm-hmm. which is causing that foot to plant or flex even when they're sitting you know facing you You'll be able to tell. Um, but here's a prime example where the Achilles went. The foot is now lack of tension, now pointing straight down. There's a uh, Achilles squeeze test that we do, the Thompson test. I don't know if we're naming tests anymore, but because now everything is, is, is anatomic rather than... Trying to get away from that. From some yeah. physician from 1920s or something. Mm-hmm. But the, the Thompson squeeze test, the Achilles squeeze test... You squeeze that calf muscle, the calf muscle is obviously going to contract, and you'll hopefully, if the Achilles is nice and, and uh, intact, you'll have a good plantar flexion. And sometimes you can also have a, a false plantar flexion with that also, you know, if the, the sure. deflectors are, are still firing. And the patient is usually still able to walk on it. 
because the deep flexors are still strong enough to, to make up that difference. They're, they're still limping around, though. Yeah, they're not comfortable. Yeah. So imaging, typical x-rays that we'll get, and you can see a good healthy picture right here. So let's go through the basic pictures that we're seeing. You got the heel bone, you got the tibia, the fibula, the talus, and this tendon right here, that's your Achilles. This triangle right here, that's your Kager's fat pad. It's a, a hollow spot. And then this little gray mass here, that's your flexor tendons. There's a couple back there, they're overlapping. What we wanna see is a nice solid line here. Here, you can see where the Achilles has ruptured completely. You can even see the deficit. That's pretty amazing. You can see that with x-ray. That's true. Yeah, a lot of people think that the x-rays are solely for bones, and there are some shadows that we can kind of make up. I mean, you want to get some bigger, you know, imaging if you're, you know, questioning your uh, your diagnosis, or, you know, if you, an ultrasound also helps. So here's a an ultrasound with the Achilles on tension, right, with your ankle at neutral at 90 degrees. And then you can kind of see that gap between here and here. And then... Here you can see with the plantar flex, you can see that gap come together. That's a, a before and after you're ultrasound. Taking tension off of yeah, it. You're yeah, you're kind of seeing those two uh, endpoints come Th together. That far right picture, that's a kid. you got open yeah. growth plates. So that's pretty unusual. It's not right an injury we see typically in kids, unless maybe they're grossly overweight. That's or sports injuries. Sports injuries, but still. I had a young football player once. Really? You don't see this very often in kids 16 and under. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty rare. Um, and then that, that far left picture where you can really see the contour change, yeah. that's just a really diseased uh, Achilles for sure. Imaging. So sometimes we'll get an MRI. So here on to your far left, you can see what a normal MRI looks like. And this is a T1 uh, because you can see nice healthy tendons that are jet black and the muscles that are gray. Uh, here for T2, we use that for pathologies because the fluid and inflammation kind of shows up and we can discern the, uh, the level of injury. So here you can kind of see the Achilles right here and right here, and you see that fluid in between there. Not something you want to see on an MRI because then you know you're going to have to go in and kind of yeah, fix that. That's a pretty diseased tendon. So that, that tendon is completely ruptured, and, and you've got that crab meat effect where the uh, the ends are, are pulling away from each other. So, yeah, you have to usually cut out a lot of that tissue to get back to nice, healthy tendon. So treatment options. I mean, this is something obviously we have to fix. And there's a, a whole array of problems that we, we have to dive into because when you're trying to fix this um, conservatively, we want those toes with pointing down so you take that tension off the Achilles. What do you typically do? Cast or boot or? After we've repaired it surgically? Um, so I'm doing conservative. Conservative purpose. treatment? Yeah, it, usually a, a cam boot with a heel lift. Yeah, so. You know, I, you can do the fiberglass Zero with casting. the foot plantar flexed, but. Yeah, I think the cam boots with a heel lift yeah. work really well, and it's just quicker and easier. Yeah, it's the same thing I do. I have a couple heel lifts in there. Mm -hmm. What that's doing is taking the Achilles, right? It's taking your foot, and it's bringing that ankle down, right? So that's <coughs> taking some of that slack off that Achilles tendon. And then eventually, um, once they start weight-bearing, we'll start removing those heel lifts, and hopefully that tendon is scarred back into place. Uh, yeah, just you're lengthening back out to, to get back to neutral and hopefully above neutral. Yeah. with uh, stretching techniques for the calf muscle. Now there's boots out there that do the flexion and extension, all fancy and whatnot, but, I mean, the heel lifts is what I typically do. I know you typically do that too. You can do serial casting uh, if it's um, someone that, you know, isn't going to tolerate a boot or they... I had a patient literally tell me, he's like, Doc, I'm not going to wear a boot. Yeah. And I was like, all right, I guess we're going to put you in a cast. You understand that you won't be able to take this off and bathe and stuff, but it's a necessary evil. If you know yourself, if you know your child, if your child is going to take it off, I mean... Uh, the boot is great and all, but the cast is more, um, it, 
It forces compliance. Yep, force compliance. So surgery is the other option. So let's go to a couple of surgical options. There's a lot of fancy, minimally invasive stuff out there, which I think works well. But in my personal opinion, uh, opening them up versus doing the minimally invasive, the incision is give or take about the same. And I'd rather you know visualize it myself. What do you do, Doc? There are times when the minimally invasive option is best, especially when you've got someone with a really horrible tissue, soft tissue envelope. Yeah, if they have poor healing potential. Yeah, maybe a really debilitated diabetic, someone with severe PVD. Lymphedema. Uh, lymphedema, where you've just got so much swelling, so much soft tissue damage from years of chronicity of venous disease or the chronicity yeah. of lymphedema really changes the whole soft tissue envelope. You get a lipodermatosclerosis where you're getting hardening of the fat layers under the skin. Yep. That is not tissue you want to operate through. So you know, I could see attempting to do the endoscopic or the or the uh, minimally invasive repair. And essentially what you're doing with that is you're, you're locking the tendon and then you're pulling it down and then suturing it in place. And you're going to get it close. You may not get it perfect. Yeah. And then hope that it scars in. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of hope with those. The advantage is you're not making big incisions, which can lead to wound healing problems. But yeah. you know, I, I do chronic wound healing for a living. So whenever I have my own dehiscence, I just don't even bat an eyelash. Yeah. I know what to do with them. So yeah, We can take care of it. We can yeah. easily. The, the major problem is the, the tendon, obviously, because right. the skin will heal, you know, over it uh, if you do, you know, what you're supposed to do. But I still open them, the yeah. vast majority of them. But I have used, it was a different... Um, yeah, there's a metal one manufacturer. Out there. there's, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of them out there. Everyone's got their little style and techniques. So, what do you do whenever you have a gap? That's a very common problem. So sometimes the Achilles will shoot up, and then the ends are frayed. Obviously, it's not like you're going to sit there and be able to put those back together. You got to take back to where it's healthy. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you'll have like a good inch or two gap in there. So here are a couple of options. I don't know what you. I've used the do. I use the V to Y. I do that too frequently. Yeah. Occasionally, I've had to do the turn down. Um, that D, the picture D there where you've done a lateral, they've done a turn down. You would basically cut out the center part and then yeah, float it down. It down. But now those there's were, a lot of graphs out there that you can use. Yeah, in that was before we started using the cadaveric stuff. Now you can actually get a cadaveric graft that's connected to a bone chunk yeah. from the calcaneus. So you just carve a little chunk out of the calcaneus, you plug yeah, that bone in, in there. and then you just suture in the cadaveric tendon. So if you've got a severe, that, those are great when you have a severe rupture that's almost from the insertion yes. and you just have no tissue to work with. Yeah. So fairly rare, but that does work. And you get a nice FHL transfer. So there's a there's a tendon transfer we can do either with a plantaris or the FHL mm -hmm. where you can weave that in and out of your repair and give it some additional strength. Yeah. I'll reserve the flexor tendon transfer. I have to debulk the tendon if mm. there's a lot of scar tissue in there. I'll use that FHL tendon transfer. And the benefit is twofold with the FHL, aside from the plantaris. Plantaris is great when you need to add some extra tendon, but when you need some stability back there, the FHL works twofold. One, the tendon, obviously, you'll be able to implant that, either lace it through or suture to the backside and implant it into the heel bone. And the second benefit is the muscle belly. The muscle belly is vascular. Mm -hmm. So if you put that up against a area of watershed, right, that's going to bring some good blood flow to that area. Absolutely. Now, after surgery, you know, that tendon is going to be a little thick afterwards compared to doing a, you know, direct repair. But uh, it's a necessary evil if you want full function and, and low risk of this recurring again. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's really the goal is you don't want to put the patient at any additional risk to re-rupturing it. Because then, man, once you've operated through this tissue, if you have to go back in a second time, yeah, scar tissue is going to be tough so to deal with. So here's a good example of what it looks like before and after. Yeah. Um, 
a big hematoma in those gaps. So yeah, clear all that stuff. Yeah, so out. this is the end of one tendon. Here's the other end of that tendon. You can see how it's frayed. So they obviously took it back to a healthy layer and brought that down. I wouldn't be surprised if they did some type of lengthening. Uh, I want to say that's a Vita Y, but I really can't tell from this picture. But this the, is what a, a Vita Y yeah. looks like. That's this beautiful. Is, that's, that's what I do. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you don't close the, the proximal very often. Yeah. If you can cinch it together, great. If not, it's just like you're doing like a gastro procession. Right. Yeah. Here's so, the. So that's how we gain length from tissue where you've got maybe a three or four centimeter gap. Here's uh, the endoscopic technique. You can kind of see the sutures coming out the ends here. So what they'll do is they'll put the endoscopical suture grabbers on the inside, run the sutures, pull those ends, and they'll do the same thing on the bottom side, the plantar side, and they'll pull those ends and then they'll suture them together. And hopefully that incision is directly overlying the gap portion. So when it comes together, they can run a stitch through here. And that's what I typically do. I'll do like absorbable stitch through the, the ends to kind of tubularize it if I can. If not, I'll put a graft overlying it mm -hmm. and and uh, and bulk it up that way. Yeah, I like throwing umbilical cord. Umbilical cord, yeah. That, just to cover up all the suture, and, and you seem to get a better scar yeah. when you do that. You don't get adhesions that way. So chronic injuries, so a little different than your acute injuries. Acute injuries are usually young, healthy, and big snap. Chronic injuries are what Dr. D was talking about, where it's chronic overuse issue. It could be spastic aquinas of some type. It could be, you know, I have a patient, I'm dealing with a, a chronic tendonitis with a, a palpable nodule mm -hmm. on both sides, and he has Parkinson's, and uh, obviously this, the spastic Aquinas from Parkinson's. But yeah, so let's go through what you typically see. I mean, you got that bump like we talked about. It's palpable. It's tender, mm -hmm. usually. Right. What happens is that tendon, that watershed area that we talked about earlier, is trying to heal, but it's not healing as quick as it should. So you end up getting more scar tissue than healed tissue. And that kind of gets bigger and bigger and bigger, um, very tender usually. And um, that becomes a very prominent weak link. And yeah. if it's going to rupture, it'll rupture right through all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So the main cause of most of these problems are the equinus component to that tendon. So uh, I, I know we keep on saying the word equinus, but let me explain what that means. So equinus is when your tendon, your Achilles tendon is too tight. So it prevents your ankle from dorsiflexing as high as it should. And there's two types of Aquinas. There's osseous Aquinas. I just threw that in there. You can see that there's bony impingement. And there's so tendinous Aquinas. You literally Aquinas. get that. That like hard stop. To, yeah, it's a hard stop. You can definitely tell the difference. Yeah. So how do we check for Aquinas? There's a lot of ways that uh, people are like, oh, no, I mean, oh, my tendon's not that tight. And the reason that they're not seeing that it's that tight is because you're getting compensation through that midfoot. Right. A lot of women are in high heeled shoes and then they come back down. They're like, oh, my heel hurts, but I'm so comfortable in these shoes. That's this is the only shoes I'm comfortable in, you know, like clog type shoes, high heeled shoes, uh, wedges. And they're like, oh, I'm perfectly fine. But at the end of the day, when I'm I'm at home without my shoes and I'm just in my slippers or whatever, I'm having so much pain. I don't know what's going on. And that's that problem. When you're in that short um, Achilles state, when that heel is elevated, right, that tendon now has has um, slack in it. Yeah. So it's new normal is nice and short. You spend five, six, seven, eight hours a day in those type of shoes, it's going to add up and leave to, um, you know. When you get back down on the ground, suddenly the tendon's too short. Yeah. Uh, here's another picture of kind of seeing how you kind of compensate that midfoot. Here's the test that we do. It's called the silver scoid test. It's used to determine if the Achilles, the, the two muscle bellies, the gastrocnemius and the soleus are the cause of shortness, or if it's the gastrocnemius. And more often than not, it's usually the gastrocnemius. So when we do this test, we're able to tell if it's caused by the gastrocnemius muscle. Because when you flex your knee and we test it, you're getting great ankle dorsiflexion. But if you have a straight knee and you have a limited dorsiflexion, then we know that the 
component that's too tight is the gastrocnemius muscle. Here's a good picture of kind of what they look like. X-ray. So sometimes you can get a little calcification in that tendon. A lot of times you won't see it too much on X-ray. You'll see a little, you know, hypertrophy. But um, thickening. You'll see the contour change. Yeah. So you can kind of see that yeah. contour. But I put these pictures in there because you can kind of get some calcification in there. Here's an ultrasound showing normal tendon. Here's when we're looking at it long ways versus looking at it across. You can see that that damaged tendon, this uh, C and D, is hypertrophic and becomes mm -hmm. thickened. And um, obviously, that's the area of damage, and that's what we're going to fix. An MRI uh, showing the Achilles tendon. Here's a good one showing that uh, the hypertrophy. This one, uh, I really just wanted to throw that in there for the normal picture, but I forgot to crop that out. My apologies. But here's the hypertrophic one where you can kind of see that uh, the tendon's gotten thickened. It's got um, uh, scar tissue in there, and that's the, um, the problem that we're going to go in and fix. Treatment options. So, like Dr. D said, the wedge uh, is a great option. What we slowly do is ease you off of those layers and get you back down to normal. Uh, depending on how injured or how damaged it is, sometimes we'll take you off of weight-bearing completely to let that calm down, and then we'll go in. Commonly, I'll get like physical therapy involved. Stretching exercises, manual manipulation, breaking down that scar tissue. Sometimes we'll have to cast them. You can kind of see how we do a progressive change before and after. More often than not, sometimes we have to go in and fix it surgically. So here's a couple of treatment options that we do. Yeah, I don't know if you do the uh, the radio frequency ablation for these, but um, I typically go in and excise. We'll do like a, a wedge type cut, excising that hypertrophic tissue on the inside. It's a good diagram of kind of showing what it looks like. I think I have another picture. I like the Kit Kat into the yeah. too. Well, well, that was my example of, of uh, excising that problem. <laughs> but do you see the tissue, that area of yellow, that's the hypertrophic area, that's the problem area. The tendon itself is still intact, obviously, so we want to go in and remove unhealthy tissue. So Which is usually on the inside. Yeah, on the yeah. central mm -hmm. portion. And if it's calcified, that'll be on the inside also. It won't be on the surface. Here's a, a really bad tendon. You can see how long-standing that issue has been. Obviously, that one may have been neglected. Rupture been, and healed. Yeah, yeah, for months sometimes. Those are tough because you end up with such contracture that uh, you don't have a lot to work with. Yeah. Those are the cases where we use the catheter yeah. grafts. Yeah, those. of course. Yeah. And you can go in and, and you don't have to worry about long-standing PT to get yeah. that length back out again. Yeah. Um, here's a beautiful picture of whoever this doc was. Wonderful work suturing all that back together. It's like one of my favorite things as far as surgery goes is repairing that tubularized tendon. Mm -hmm. You get a nice, almost looks like a friendship bracelet. Oh, beautiful. Some lengthening options for these are a little bit different, but sometimes, you know, you can do the same things. Depending on the area of contracture, because um, obviously there's a contracture component causing that Achilles tendonitis, uh, we'll do some type of lengthening option. The only one that I don't see people doing is the hoke, because obviously the area that's injured uh, overlies that portion. But typically I'll do either like a stereo or a vulpus type of lengthening. That's your V to Y type of lengthening at different areas. Um, what about you, Dr. D? Yeah, those two are the most common that we would utilize staying away from the actual zone of injury yeah uh, simple effective we're trying to make that um, that deficit a thing of the past here's some intra-op pictures of lengthening options so endoscopic is how i typically do them if i'm doing my gastroc some people do them open i used to do them open i just prefer the endoscopic now you know here's the open technique literally going in getting to that gastroc uh, aponeurosis lengthening it here's your sural nerve that's the benefit of doing it open versus uh, doing it, you know, endoscopic. You see that little bugger? Yeah. Keep it out of the way. I do a small, yeah, this is large me medial open. incision. Yeah. yeah. And you grab it with your cokers and kind of pull it across. Yep. Yeah. And and so it's kind of a halfway 
between the endoscopic yeah, and, and a true what, open. What, like a three centimeter incision, yeah, maybe? Yeah, yeah, basically. Here's the, the V to Y again. Uh, if you do them open and you need some extra length, this is mm -hmm. showing a gap in the picture, obviously, but you can do it. The general rule of thumb for the V to Y is you want to make up that V, that long arm of that V should be twice as long as the gap that you need to fill. Right. So if you need like a, a one inch gap to fill, you make that at least you know two inches long. The longer the better. You get about 40 to 50% of that that length from there. So here's a, an example of the flexor tendon transfer right there at the bottom. So that's the flexor tendon that they have that they pull out with those pickups that you see in that A picture, right? Mm -hmm. If I can get this little thing out the way, that um, that's the flexor tendon. They'll take it, if they saw that the tendon, when they debrided it out, it's not as um, as thick as they want it to be, not as strong. They'll take that flexor tendon and they'll bring it around and they'll suture that into place. Uh, super effective, works great. Recovery. Uh, recovery for these are pretty long. Typically, I'll cast mine the, the first week or two out and I'll slowly start bringing them up. You can do the cam boot with the wedges. You can you do whatever you want, but usually you'll have them non-weight bearing. What do you do typically? Yeah, I think we're pretty conservative initially two to three weeks of non-weight bearing in a boot and then slowly get them into physical therapy and, yeah. and get that length back because that's that's really the key. You want to get them back to length so that they're getting hopefully 10 degrees of dorsiflexion and they don't then stress out the repair site. Yeah. yeah. It used to be that we used to keep patients non-weight bearing for like six to 12 weeks depending on the, the, yeah. the level of trauma. Now we've seen the, the early range of motion uh, is um, is far better. Yeah, so you I, get I less the atrophy. Yeah, yeah. The atro you really want to avoid as much of the atrophy because that takes it so long for them to get it back. Yeah, I usually will do the three to four weeks, and I'll start doing like the protective weight bearing with like the crutches, like mm -hmm. a tripod type gait, like toe touch, and then eventually get them back to full weight bearing. But yeah, I mean that's spot on, and you can kind of see here's the uh, uh, a picture of someone who's had the surgery. You can kind of see it's a little thicker. Uh, that's a necessary great evil, but yeah. that looks beautiful. That mm -hmm. looks spot on. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, hopefully this guy will never have any similar problems ever again. I think it's interesting. I think a lot of these, there's probably some hereditary anatomic variant in either the tissue of the Achilles or, or, the, perfusion. or the perfusion that yeah. puts people at risk because you'll run into folks who've ruptured both of them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The spontaneous. Yeah. I, I was reading an article just you know, going through all this stuff. The spontaneous... Uh, Bilateral Achilles ruptures. Well, even if they'll rupture one and then like... And then soon after. Then a year later, they'll rupture the other one. Yep. So yeah, you wonder if there's really some anatomic issue with their perfusion that's leading to that. A lot of times we'll see them in diabetics who are uncontrolled because they're, they're excessive cross-linking and, mm. and, you know, large body mass. And they decided, you know, we can warrior. I could be, you know, 50 years old, but I, I'm, I'm going to go out and, and go mow my, you know, 16-acre lawn on foot, you know, and... And they haven't done anything physical in the last decade, you know, and it catches up with them. The Spartan runs and yeah. uh, tough the mutters. Other, the tough mutters yeah. and uh, the early morning. What was the other one you mentioned? Oh, the uh, rucksacking. Rucksacking. Oh, yeah. yeah. All of that stuff is good for business. Yeah. <laughs> anything else, Dr. D? What do you think? Like we did, no, I think I think we nailed it. Um, we went into some of the technical details about the surgeries, which you know, for some people is interesting. The goal is try to catch these as early as possible because yes. the, the neglected ones are much harder to fix, yeah. they require much more expensive implements like cadaveric grafts, which definitely up the cost of the surgery, but can be very effective. So, I think now we have more stuff to play with. We used to just have 
you know, Marlex mesh and yeah. some other really, we were limited. We were really limited. Some other materials that you could use to bridge the gap. I think with the lengthening techniques along with like real cadaveric tissue, we've got an option for just about anybody, you know, even Shaq yeah. had a massive Achilles rupture and had a big graft and all kinds of interesting stuff put in his leg to get it to heal, but he's doing great. So yeah, even somebody who's seven feet tall yeah. can uh, benefit from it, but yeah, Achilles tendon injuries are a problem. Uh, you don't want to let them linger and smolder because that really puts you at risk for snapping it and ending up in the OR. Yeah. Uh, they're fun to fix, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, like always, if you could like, follow, subscribe, we appreciate all our viewers and listeners. We will see you next time and follow us again. If you wanted to catch all the slides and uh, the videos that Dr. Hussein puts into these, please check the YouTube out. It comes up uh, the same time as the Spotify and Apple podcast version usually hits Wednesday morning. So we'll see you guys next week. Take care. Be safe. Thank you for listening to the Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, and be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.